0: Well, here we are, January 5th, 2020, and I just realized, I had typed in my notes, I put the data on the top of my notes so I can remember what day it is, and I put 2010. I'm going backwards, <laughs> not forwards. 2010. <laughs> 2010. Um, today's, today's actually a, a significant uh, anniversary for our family. Um, Megan and I celebrated our 23rd wedding anniversary last weekend. <laughs> Um, which we had a we had a good time. We missed you all, but not a lot. Um, <laughs> we just had a good time away, and and the Lord blessed us with a, a couple of nights in a in a hotel, and we just got to to hang out. And uh, you ever notice, like going away for a night is almost not worth it. Like you need a couple of nights, right? You need like you need a day to unwind. I I said it this way: like you need a day, like especially if you're getting away with your honey, you need like a day just to kind of disconnect, then you need a day to get kind of all the arguing out. (laughs) Right? And then you need the third day to actually have fun. I don't know what it is, but it's like you get away and all of a sudden, like all of those little things. Anyway, um, so you're not alone in that. But today is significant. Um, Ten years ago today, our family, we had been living in Alaska for a number of years and had uh, pastored up in Alaska and gone through a difficult season uh, while we were there. And January 5th, 2010, we actually... Loaded up our car and drove from Anchorage, Alaska, all the way to L.A., uh, and it was a it was a life changing trip, in many ways. Um, but you know it's good to remember and, and look back and, and reflect on what God has done. We did that just a little while ago, looking back to the cross. But but I know that in your life and in my life, we can look back and, and celebrate moments where we see the handiwork of God. We see the move of God in our lives and. And so, I, I really want to encourage you as you move into 2020, before you really commit yourself to saying, What does God have for me this year? Look back. What has God done? What did God do in 2019? And I've talked to a lot of people who are like, I'm glad 2019's over. It was a hard year. Um, but even in the midst of difficulty, God is still moving. Pause and reflect, and say, "God, where where did I see you moving? Where have I seen you move in the last decade? Where have I seen you move throughout my life?" It's a good practice for us, and it kind of sets the tone for where I believe the Lord is leading us this next year. Um, this morning's message is the kickoff of a series called "God Is." God is, and then there's a line. This is going to be a series, uh, unlike any series as I, that I've ever preached, and that I usually do, we'll do like four or five weeks, maybe six weeks in a series. I think the longest we've ever gone is like eight weeks in a particular series, and then we'll move on to something else. But as we were praying about what the Lord had for this year, as I was praying, and then Pastor Megan and I were, were talking and praying, and, then, and with our, our pastoral team and our leadership, just really sensed that God had something kind of overarching for 2020. And so this series, God Is, will start today and will end at the end of December. That we're going to do a series that, that will encompass the entire year. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to explore who God is in all different aspects and facets of our lives, beginning with just simply. Who is God? And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. I I use the word journey because I believe God wants us to start somewhere and end up somewhere. I think sometimes when we approach the Word of God, we approach devotions or even approach preaching. Um, And and for me, as I develop messages and and, and that plan for our, our church or as we receive those words from the Lord... That, that trying to see how it all fits together can be a little challenging at times. But what I believe that, that God has for us this year is kind of a comprehensive perspective or a reshaping of our perspective so that we can, in 2020, truly understand who God is. We're going to press in as a congregation. I want to ask a question this morning. It's a deep question. Are you ready? You ready? Yeah. All right. Where does milk come from? <laughs> Cows? <laughs> Utter. All right. Someone's going like really specific. All right. So, so here's the thing. If, if you ask that question, depending on who you're talking to or maybe where you are in the world, you're going to get a very different answer. There are people in the world who do not understand where milk comes from. Some people would say this, well, milk comes from the store, <laughs> duh. Or, or others would say, well, milk comes from a carton. Maybe you remember, anyone remember the day where milk was actually delivered by the milkman? Yeah, I, like when I was a kid, we had a guy who walked through the neighborhood, he had a big electric cart and he delivered m- milk to our door. Um, Some people would say, well, it comes from a dairy. And then, of course, the right answer is from a cow. But is it? No, it comes from a cow, a goat. Of course, we have soy milk, (laughs) almond milk, and now we have oatmeal milk. You can go to Starbucks and get oatmeal milk. Isn't it amazing that just that little question, where does milk come from, Man, there's a lot of different answers, and a lot of those answers will really be shaped by your own story, your own journey, your own experience, your own preferences, right? If you're lactose intolerant, you're not going to talk about the cow. You're going to talk about some other animal. If you're from another country, you're probably going to talk about goat milk more than you're going to talk about milk that comes from a cow. If you live in Portland, well, no, we'll just leave that one alone. (laughs) So we ask a question, where does milk come from? And, And we can get a variety of answers. But if I asked you this question, who is God? Can you imagine the number of answers and the variations in answers that we would get? And you're probably aware of that. If you go to any bookstore, if you do a search on the internet, if you Google who is God, I guarantee you there is going to be such a diversity of answers. So many different perspectives. In fact, you can just scroll through your Facebook feed, unless you're fasting Facebook, of, co- of course. <laughs> and you can even see there, you see people answering that question in the things that they post, in the things that they say online. Who is God? It is a critically important question for us to ask. I believe it's a question that we don't ask as Christians enough. I think we make some assumptions, but we fail to actually ask the question, who is God? And, and then following that question with, well, why do I believe what I believe about God? Where does my belief come from? Where did I pick that up? Where did this perspective of who God is, where did I get that? I, I, when I was reading Isaiah 53, I mentioned that a theology of suffering is one that's not one that we like to think about, but we can't just disregard it because you go, well, I don't, I don't like it. It doesn't fit within my life. If, if it's a part of who God is, then we need to pay attention to it. Where does what I believe come from? Why do I believe what I believe? And how do I know that what I believe is actually true? Do you ever feel like maybe what you believe isn't accurate? Anyone? I do. There's, this, is not, this is not a chance to call you out. The reality is this, if you're not wrestling with your faith, you're making big assumptions that can possibly lead you down a dangerous road. Your faith is designed to be wrestled with. That your faith is something that you need to grapple with and understand. How do I know that what I believe about God is actually true? Can I just tell you right now, if you're basing your perspective of who God is, your understanding of who God is, on what I say on Sunday morning, you're in big trouble. Not because I don't teach truth. I commit myself to teaching the Bible as accurately as I possibly can. But the reality is even what I say is shaped by my own experience. Well, my pastor said it. It must be true. No. No. Well, my parents, my grandparents, whoever. And and then ask this question, and if it is true... If what I believe about God is true, how should it affect my life? What does that actually mean for me? What does this look like? How does this translate into actual change and actual action in my life? We call these questions theology. We're going to kick 2020 off with a discussion about theology. Now, don't sit there and go, great, we're diving into the deep end. Wonderful. Because I think theology is one of those words that is completely misunderstood. The idea is that we have theologians at great institutes of learning who sit for hours and hours every day poring over original languages, making decisions and talking in loft. That's why I'm talking this way, because all theologians have this way of speaking that just sounds more godly. And then we're just supposed to believe what they say. That theology is this lofty, up there, reserved for some people kind of pursuit and i'm i'm just trying to just live for jesus today and not make too many mistakes but nothing could be further from the truth you may not know it but you have a theology you have a theology you are a theologian tell the person next to you you're a theologian It is true that there are people who pursue theology as a vocational uh, study, as, as, as they commit their lives to studying theology. I have commentaries in my, on my bookshelf. Actually, it's more, I have commentaries in my Kindle, um, in my, my, my app, you know, the, the apps on my, my devices now. But there's people who have committed their lives to studying theology and wrestling with some of the, the deep aspects of who God is. But the truth is, is that we are all theologians. We all have a theology. Theology simply means this. If we break the word down, theos means God. And logos means speech or word. So theology is simply words or things that we say about who God is. So your theology, what you believe about God, is reflected in what you say and how you live in response to what you believe about God. That's your theology. Let me tell you how this journey got started for me and why I believe that the Lord led us into this 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 year. Um, I was in a class uh, in 2019 uh, on... It was a theology class focused primarily on uh, leadership. It was a leadership theology class. And I hadn't taken a theology class in it'd been a long time. I read a lot of books, but I hadn't sit in a, sat in a, a classroom environment. It was all online, but I hadn't sat in, in, in a classroom environment and been exposed to theological-type conversations for a while. And over the course of a few weeks... As we pressed in theo- into theology, and, and a couple of the professors in the class are, are some of our lead uh, theological thinkers within the Foursquare Denomination, and they started pressing on some things and challenging some things. And, uh, and I had to write a final paper for this class, um, and, it, and it took me, those, those who know the story and some were praying for me, um, it took me a couple of weeks couple three weeks to write the paper and I rewrote the paper probably six or seven times and and here's why every time I sat down to write I just started weeping I just started weeping because as I started pressing into theology and understanding who God is all I could see was my own pride All I could see was all of the things, all the decisions, and all of the the lofty ideas that I had, and, 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 and conclusions that I had arrived at, completely without the help of God. I had made conclusions as a pastor, and as a Christian, about who God is, and never actually checked it out with Him. And it wrecked me. It absolutely wrecked me. And as I was meditating on this and, 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 and just kind of pressing through this, this season, the Lord started whispering to my heart, and he's saying, Barry, if, if you're struggling with this as a pastor, imagine how the church is wrestling with this. Imagine how many wrong ideas exist about who I am in my church, amongst my children. And I gotta tell you, I wanna know who my heavenly father is. I wanna know him. I wanna know about him. I wanna read stories about him. I wanna know him. And out of that journey in my own life, the Lord started painting a picture and showing a kind of shedding a light on what 2020 would look like for us. And so the journey this year will be about pressing into who God is, gaining an accurate picture, and rebuilding our theologies. Some of the smartest people I know, some of the most brilliant theologians I know adopt this posture. Everything is up for grabs. There's this idea that people will land on a theology and go, we've got to figure it out. And then they stand on something and it becomes dogmatic. And it becomes a point of disagreement rather than unity. All I know is when it comes to the word of God and the person of God, all I know is that I'm broken and I see things with a a perspective that is limited. And I have to hold all of these things in my hand, as do we all. And say, God, I invite you to challenge me and stretch me and break me and undo things and take assumptions that I've made or had even since I was a little child and shatter them if that's what you need to do. So that I will believe the right things about who you are. And can I tell you, you don't have to look far in the world around us in the church in America to understand that good theology is under attack. And and, and here's the thing, it's not from the outside, it's not the atheists, it's Christians who don't know who God is, and therefore they don't know how to live. One of our core statements as a church, we have four The missional statements that we use. Know God, grow as a disciple, serve like Jesus, and go into all the world. That's what we're about. Thriving in Christ looks like that. That's what it means to thrive. And the very first one is know God. Because none of the rest matter if you don't know God. And so we have to know who God is. We have to establish a theology. And I would rather have a theology that is mine than be given given one by someone else. Theology is the word about God. It's essentially, the most basic definition would be this, that theology is the study of God. Understanding his nature and his character and then looking at, How does he relate with his creation? Who is he and how is he connected to us? Theologian Killian MacDonald said this, The purpose of theology until the 12th century was not to explain God, but to know him in contemplation, adoration, praise, and thanksgiving. Theology has morphed into this apologetic, argumentative type of uh, practice. And and there's a major shift, and we don't have time to get into it today, but he says in the 12th century, when when man became a lot smarter, when we started going, yeah, we got this figured out. We had things like the Industrial Revolution, and we started making scientific discoveries. And all of a sudden, theology moved from knowing God so that I would be transformed, knowing God so that I could worship Him, knowing God so that I could praise Him, and theology became just a mental exercise, devoid of relationship and life change. And I believe that God is calling us as a church to recapture the essence of what theology is. It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. See, it's about gazing into the face of God. And in order to know God, we have to seek him. In order to know God, now he he goes over and beyond to make himself known. In so many ways. Jeremiah 29:11 is a verse we all know. In fact, coming into a new year, I know that at churches all around the country, Jeremiah 29, 11 is being preached. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Can I get an amen? amen. And it is absolutely true. However, we have to read the next verse. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and then I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is not about you just getting what you want. This is about your heart assuming a posture that says, God, I want to seek you with everything I have. And God says, when you seek me, I will reveal myself to you. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a fabulous verse, but we have to read it in context. By the way, God says that to the children of Israel on the front end of 70 years of captivity. That God's promises are true even in the midst of our pain. Call on him and he will answer you. Church, listen to this. God says that if you call on him, he will answer you. Seek me and guess what? You will find me. I will show myself to you. God is not playing a cosmic game of hide and seek. He's just not. Yet I know that there are those who, who call themselves Christians who have that as a theological perspective, that God's making it hard for me to find him. If he wasn't, why is my life difficult? You see, and you make those jumps and make those connections, and God goes, no, that's not who I am. See, God wants to make himself known. That's why we commit ourselves as a church, first and foremost, to knowing God. It's why Jesus came to earth, that we could know God in a way that we couldn't know him before. It's why we broke bread and drank the cup this morning, to, to remember what Jesus did for us so that we could have the knowledge of who God is. So we have to ask this question, who is God? And by we, I mean you. You have to ask this question. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how long you've known Jesus, or maybe you're new to faith in Christ, that we all must ask the question, who is God? Who is God? And then commit ourselves to the process of actually looking for Him and finding the answers. In Matthew chapter 16, we see the story of Jesus and the disciples at Caesarea Philippi. Well, I want to read this to you, the words will be up on the screen, and then I'll give a little bit of background. It says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth Will be bound on heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This moment, this little snapshot in time, is one of the most significant moments in the the life of both Jesus and his ministry, but also of Peter. They're standing in Caesarea Philippi, which was the most depraved, evil place in Israel. The gates of hell that Jesus references, and I've talked about this, so you, you probably recall, but, but for the, the sake of those who haven't heard, the, the gates of hell is an actual physical place. It's a giant cave, which in Jesus' time, there were uh, temples that had been erected. There was a, the, the major one was to the God, uh, to the God Pan, and, and what would happen at this, this, this cave, there was water that would come out, but it was kind of this abyss. And it was considered to be the gateway to hell. And and all kinds and all manner of, of evil behavior took place, including human sacrifice. And Jesus comes to this place, the most evil, depraved place in all of Israel. And in this place, he asks the question, who do you say I am? Actually, he says, who do the people say I am? And so the disciples answer, well, some say this and some say that. I I believe a lot of us are walking around with an idea of who God is that was given to us by someone else. And it's not accurate. It's not accurate that we believe that God is something that he is not because we've not pressed in. And then he says to Peter and the disciples, and he asked the question of all of them. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, speaks up first, because he's, he's Peter. But, but I think there's something about his boldness that God just really honors. And he just blurts out, you are Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And he nails it. In the midst of this darkness, Peter identifies who Jesus is. And then Jesus makes a statement. He says, blessed are you, Peter. Blessed, why? Because he got the right answer? No, because he had a revelation of who God is. If you want to see blessing in your life, press into who God is. Ask the question, who God is, more than you ask the question, what's in this for me? You are the Messiah, the son of the living God, and Jesus replied, blessed are you. For this was not to reveal to you by flesh and blood. No person revealed this to you. It was revealed to you by my Father. Church, can I tell you? We need a revelation of who God is in our lives. We need a revelation of who God is. We need our personal theology to be shaken up. to be messed with, to be rebuilt, not based on what other people say, but what we know of who God is as we press into him and we receive a revelation from God the Father himself. The Bible says that he's given us his Holy Spirit who will reveal all truth to us. That as we press into the person of God that he will show us who he is. We need a revelation. We need to do the work of theology. Now, I don't have time to unpack or get into that today, so come back next week. (laughs) Because what I actually want to do next week as we we kind of set the course, chart the course for this year, is we're going to take some time next week to talk about how do you do theology? Because there's a right way and there is a not right way. There's there's a there's ways that we approach theology. And so we're gonna we're gonna have some theological conversations. We're gonna look at some of the ways that theology is formed and how we go about pressing into and asking these questions in a right way. And so that'll be next Sunday. But I wanna I wanna finish with this. Why is this so important? Why is it important that we would establish and know what our theology is? Why is it that we would inspect what we believe about God? Why is it that we need to give this the kind of consideration that it's due? Well, Paul answers this question for us. In 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, he says, In the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And this this next verse is so key. For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Okay, let me pause here. What is doctrine? We theology is what we believe, it's what we believe about God. It's how the questions we ask about who God is. Doctrine is the teaching that flows from that theology. So my theology will, in, it will inform my doctrine. So as a pastor, when I'm teaching you, what you're receiving is doctrine. But if my theology is jacked up, what's going to happen to the doctrine you receive? And then you go out and go, hey, check out what my pastor said. <laughs> and hopefully people are like, what? What? If if my theology were bad. It's not. It's it's, it's good. Yeah. And part of that is I, I submit myself to people who can speak into my life. It's not perfect though, because I know this. A few months ago I sat weeping because I recognize how prideful I am. And my pride will come through even in my preaching. My pride will come through when I pick and choose what kind of doctrine I present to you as a church. And so we have to take a step back. Paul's warning is there's a time when people will not put up with sound doctrine. They don't want to hear what the truth is. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. We might read that and go, well, that was for them. That was for them. But can I tell you, I, I look at the world around us. When it comes to itching ears, we got them. We got them. They will turn, away, turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. They will surround themselves with people who tell them what they want to hear. And let me ask you this. How do you know that's not you? How do you know it's not you? If you're not doing the work of personal theology, if you're not pressing into and asking the question, who is God, how do you know? And the answer is this, you don't. You don't. We have to take responsibility and say, God, I want to see you. I want to know you. Not what my pastor says about you. Not what that other podcast says about you. Not that book that I read. Or, or I, There's all kinds of wonderful things. You can read My utmost for his highest. Good stuff written by a person. Jesus calling. Good stuff written by a person. That latest sermon that you listen to. Good stuff, probably. Can we just agree? There's not good there's some bad preaching out there. It might sound good, but the content. How do we know if we're not pressing in and asking who God is? And if we don't see his face and know his character and know his nature, because when we know who he is, the things that are not of him will stick out to us. That's right. And all kinds of bells and whistles and sirens will go off, and we'll be like, whoa, I need to check that out. We're living in these times. We're living in these times. We need to be careful. We need to walk, as Jesus says, circumspectly. We need to keep our eyes open. And we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We need to keep our eyes fixed on who God is. I want to come back to what I talked about at the beginning. Deuteronomy 4.29, God says this to the children of Israel. He's given them warning, saying, listen, here's how you need to live. And he keeps saying all throughout these books of the law, he keeps saying, I am the Lord, 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 over and over and over again. Because he needs to know that there are going to be people and and ways of thinking and other gods are going to try and make their way in. But you need to know this, I am the Lord. And they still go off. But there's a promise in Deuteronomy that he gives. He says in 429, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. So here's some theology for you. What we see revealed here is, is part of the nature of God. It's part of the character of God. We're going to talk next week about explicit and implicit theology in places where we see God, where the Bible says God is, and then fills in the blank. And then there's stories that we see where we we can make assumptions about who God is by what he does. In this case, we see something about the nature of God. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me, you will find me. What does that tell us about God? He's making himself known. That God desires to be in relationship with us. That he's leaning, that his countenance is towards us, not away from us. What he's waiting simply for us to do is to turn to him. And he says, but when you seek me, you'll find me. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Jesus says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Do you see the same heart of the Father reflected from Deuteronomy to Matthew? I care about you. I care about you. And I know that you're broken. And I know that you're probably going to make some mistakes. But know this, if you seek me, if you turn, or, turn away from your wicked ways, if you repent, if you seek me, you will find me. To guarantee. The invitation for 2020 Thrive Church is this. Let's seek God. Let's seek God. Let's press into who He is. Let's seek His face like we've never sought His face before. Let's put aside the things that we think we know, the assumptions that, we, that we've, we've, we've bought into and the assumptions that we've made, and let's press into who He is and see the face of God because here's what I know. When we gaze intently and honestly and openly upon the face of God, we will be transformed. The transformation happens in the presence of God. So here's here's what we're going to do as we do this series throughout the year. We're going to explore different aspects and facets of what it means to follow Jesus. We're going to use our four missional statements, no grow, serve, go, as a guide, starting with knowing God. And for the first quarter of the year, we're going to press into what does it mean to know God? And what does that mean about my relationships with other people? Because if I know God and I know he's a relational God, there's some aspect of my personal relationships. What does God say about my relationships with other people? And what does God say about my relationships that I have with people outside of my family or my church family and in the world? We're gonna talk about what it means to grow as a disciple, not from our perspective, but from God's perspective. Who is God in the midst of discipleship? Where does God factor into this journey that I'm on called discipleship? We're gonna talk about serving like Jesus and being empowered by the Spirit of God and understand what is it about God that he would give his Spirit, pour out his Spirit on Jesus, and then that Jesus would give us his Holy Spirit and make way for us to be filled. What does that tell us about who God is? See, what we want to do is break with a consumer mentality that comes to the word of God asking this question, what's in it for me? So many people that I've talked to who say, well, I read the Bible, but I didn't get anything out of it. <laughs> ah! <laughs> what? What? Because we're asking the wrong question. We're so quick to go to application. We just want to go to, how does this make my life better? And God's like, well, what about me? You're missing me in the whole thing. And so we're going to move away from asking the question, what did I get out of it? And ask the question, what does this tell me about who God is? What does this reveal to me about my heavenly father? And we're going to spend a whole year doing that. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about mission. We're going to talk about all kinds. We're going to talk about finances. That there's not a single aspect of life that God doesn't care about that he is involved in. There's not a single aspect of your life that cannot be understood in the light of who God is and have a theology Part of what we're going to do, and this is, this is my final thing this morning, I want to encourage you to be here next Sunday. I want to encourage you to not miss next Sunday. And I want to encourage you to invite as many people as you can, both within our congregation, as you connect with each other in person or text messaging or social media, just this week, would you just encourage everyone, hey, make sure you're at church next Sunday. Because I believe it's a really key Sunday for us as we start this year. And one of the things that we're going to be doing, we're going to be passing out a journal. We have a Lectio Divina journal that we've developed just for our church that will coincide with this entire series. We're going to pass out, they'll they'll, they'll come out every quarter. We'll have another one. And and all of the passages that we'll be reading um, and and considering in the sermons are going to be in that journal. And and the way that we've designed it is this, rather than I preach a sermon and then you read the passages throughout the week, we're going to front load it. We're going to give you the passages ahead of time. So you read and and, and do the devotion and and do the lectio and contemplate who God is. And there's going to be some instructions on that. We'll talk about that more next week. But we're going to front load it. You're going to read those passages and and you're going to, you're going to discover who God is and your theology is going to be shaped and reshaped. And then all Sunday will be is a confirmation and an affirmation of what you already know. Right. So I want to encourage you be here next Sunday. Uh, we're going to take time to pray over our congregation as we set out on this journey. I believe that, that lives are going to be transformed this year as never before as we gaze upon the face of God. Amen? Let's stand together Gonna invite the worship team to come. God, I thank you that we don't have to guess about who you are. That you have made yourself known, Lord, that even Paul writes in the book of Romans that who you are is evident in what has been made. That you are clearly seen in creation. Yeah, Lord, you've also given us your word to undergird who we are, what we believe about you, to reveal your nature, your character to us, to take all of the guesswork out of it. And then, Lord, you've given us your spirit to remind us of what is true, to lead us and guide us into all truth. And so, Lord, I pray that as we this year press into and ask the question, who is God? As you invite us to ask the question, who do you say that I am? Lord, that we will arrive as a congregation at a point of clarity and a point of certainty. Lord, that that incorrect theology would be corrected. And Lord, as we stand in your presence, as we gaze upon your glory, as we stare into your face, that our lives would be transformed. So we invite you this year in 2020 to have your way in our lives. Prepare the soil of our hearts and our minds and our emotions to receive from you what it is you want to do in us this year. And we will give you all of the glory and all of the praise and all of the honor that is due your holy and matchless name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.